welcome to this edition of our LinkedIn Live Critical Mass Business Talk Show. I am very excited to have our guest today. Joe Garner of Garner Creative Concepts is here. He's both an entrepreneur and, as you may be aware, a six-time New York Times best-selling author. And so we've got a lot to talk about. My crack research team, <laughs> Haley Stern, has put together a list of questions. And let's get to them. Joe, welcome to the uh, conversation today. Thanks, Rick. It's nice to be with you. So let's get let's get started. So you've been writing a book for 23 right. years. What was your motivation for your first book that launched your career? And your first book was We Interrupt This Broadcast. Right. It was purely selfish. Uh, I'll tell you, I had zero aspirations of being an author until I had an idea for what my first book. I have been, uh, first of all, I've had a lifelong love and passion for radio and television, broadcasting in general, history, how the two intersect and affect each other. I was working at the Westwood One Radio Networks. Uh, it was the late 90s. We were in, I was in a meeting. We were um, thinking about what kind of programming to create to commemorate the passing 20th century into the 21st century. And I got back to my office and I was struck by how everybody in that office or how everybody in that um, in that meeting had a story to tell about where they were when, um, depending on how old they were. You know, the Kennedy assassination, uh, the Apollo 11 moon landing, the O.J. Simpson uh, saga, that sort of thing. And it occurred to me that those moments had become more than just defining moments in history. They'd become the benchmarks in our lives. They were shared, the where were you win moments. And then it occurred to me that every one of them were introduced with the same four words. We end this broadcast. And as I said, I had a lifelong love and passion for the subject, had books on the subject. And I thought, wow, this could be a really interesting and powerful book. I could I could uh, compile all of these stories, tell them in text, illustrate the iconic images that are inextricable with the memories of these events. But we live in a wonderful age uh, in that our history is literally recorded through broadcast. So I thought I could include the actual broadcast bulletin coverage. Uh, the technology of the day was CDs, so those easily would fit inside the back cover of a book. And I just thought it would bring this history to life. And so, I, I, you know, it was one of those turning point moments where you think, God, maybe I ought to do something with that idea someday, or maybe I ought to do something with that idea. And I opted for the latter, didn't know the first thing about publishing. So I pulled a book off my shelf of the subject, looked at the name of the publisher, and I cold called them. And that cold call led to the next one and the next one and a whole bunch after that. And after being blown out of every publishing house in New York City, a friend of mine said, I, I know this little publisher in Naperville, Illinois, not exactly the hub of the publishing business, but um, I met with her and she said, I'll do this book on one condition. And I said, what's that? And she said that you agree to go out and promote it because if you just sold me, you'll sell the American people. And I thought, well, that's that's the easy part. I come from broadcast. So I uh, spent the next six or eight months piling the book, licensing the audio and so forth. About two months before the book came out, I had the idea that we needed a name on that cover that embodied the history of and at that time walter cronkite was still alive mm -hmm. so i didn't know him i didn't know anybody who did uh so i wrote him a letter and poured every ounce of my passion into that letter and explained uh what i was hoping to accomplish with this mix of and that uh, his words should be the first in a book like this 
And um, my good luck, and to my surprise, 10 days later, I got a call from his chief of staff, Marlene Adler, who said that Walter would be happy to provide the foreword to the book. We put the book out in October, and by December, it hit the New York Times bestsellers list, just changed the whole trajectory of my career. Well, we're going to talk about this cold calling and outreach and a little later in the interview, ladies and gentlemen, because I think that's an interesting part of Joe's success and it's transferable to other entrepreneurs. So it's hard enough to be a one-time New York Times bestselling author, but you've done it five more times. So of, <laughs> yeah. of all your books, is there a consistent vision or theme for the types of books that you have written? Yeah. I uh, ultimately, um, you know, because after after the first book, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I thought, what other subject would um, be this visceral um, that uh, people relate to? And um, although I only scored two points my entire sixth grade basketball season, and that was the end of my sporting career, I did realize that sports would lend itself to this mix of media. Because to a true sports fan, you can't mention Bobby Thompson's 1951 pennant winning series home run with in your imagination hearing uh, Russ Hodges shouting, the Giants win the pennant, the Giants win the pennant. Or uh, the U.S. Olympic hockey teams defeated the Soviet Union, underscored beautifully by Al Michaels shouting, do you believe in miracles? So I thought um, to do a sports compilation, did a couple of those with Bob Costas, um, and then after that just so so sort of the common thread was um these moments and events that are shared um and that became sort of the theme of all of the books that i did in addition to them all being uh with the exception of a couple of them uh, all being multimedia book with accompanying audio book with accompanying video this is interesting we're talking with joe garner you can see that on the screen he's got a company garner creative concepts and i'm wondering 23 years, sustained career as a published successful author. But what have you seen? Because you talk about how the first books came out with media in them. But what have you seen over 23 years? How has the book writing and publishing business, how has your industry from an artistic author's perspective changed? Oh my gosh, it's changed in so many ways. I mean, from the very beginning, um, think about it. The first book I did in 1998, um, I, there wasn't any research to do online. You still had to go to the library. You still had to, you know, um, rely on archives. And that, so, so just from uh, a uh, concepting and um, uh, researching and and just those fundamentals uh, has changed. Um, dramatically uh, now because of the internet. Um, when I first started, uh, you know, it was relying on traditional media uh, for your promotion and marketing. Um, you know, uh, knock wood, I, I uh, managed to crack the, uh, the code at the Today Show and was able to launch most of my books that way when that mattered. Um, not that uh, you know, traditional media doesn't still have its place. But right now, if I were to walk into a publishing house uh, with a, you know, a, a solid proposal under my arm, uh, the first thing they'd say to me is, what's your social media uh, foot? So uh, it, it's, you know, that's always a, a, a major hurdle is, is the promotional and marketing. Um, and today, most publishers um, expect you to have a, uh, uh, to do most of the heavy lifting, believe it or not. So uh, that has changed. 
Um, and then for me personally, uh, when it came to the multimedia aspect of it, uh, the biggest change was YouTube. Because up until mm -hmm. 2006, it was nearly impossible uh, for the average person to um, aggregate the kind of material that I was aggregating. Because, for instance, the sports compilations, I had sanctioned by Major League Baseball, the NFL, the NBA, the National Hockey League, the USOC. Uh, I had a Borg McEnroe bout from the 1980 Wimbledon. And so the Lawn and Tennis Club also had to give me approval rights. So, um, you know, and then, of course, I did a, a, a compilation on um, unforgettable movie moments, 35 of them in the book and on the accompanying DVD. And I'm, I'm talking The Wizard of Oz, The Godfather, um, E.T., e e e uh, you name it. I, as um, the head of marketing at Paramount uh, said to me when he invited me over for lunch after the book came out, he didn't even shake my hand first. The first thing he did was hold up the book and say, how did you do this? You have the crown jewels of every studio in this town. And, um, you know, short answer is that I came with passion uh, and I was not Iacom knocking on the door. I was just Joe Garner, who liked to put these books together that seemed to resonate with people. And I appreciate your your uh, your help and your participation. So, um, you know, uh, I, 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 I've kind of gone off on a, on a tangent here. I hope I've answered your question somewhere in all of that. Well, you did, and as a follow-up, I'm just wondering from your perspective, because you, there's probably people that are listening to the show in the future as well who fashion themselves to be best-selling authors on some platform. Is it easier with the platforms, the digital platforms that augment the traditional publishing channels now for an author to get best-seller status, Joe, or do you think it's getting harder because of the diffusement of all the you know, platforms, et cetera, to become a best-selling author? Um, I think it, uh, well, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's pros and cons, uh, and by best selling author, um, you know, that's kind of gotten a little, um, um, distilled, uh, because, um, you know, there are people who become best selling authors on, um, on Amazon. Yes. Um, but I'm you know, there are ways <laughs> to game that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, in all honesty, you know, there's ways to kind of game that system where uh, when it comes to the New York Times list, uh, it's a little harder. But even that, uh, when I first started, you had, uh, you know, nonfiction, fiction, hardcover, paperback, children's, that kind of thing. Now uh, they've parsed it into, you know, so many subjects. Um, so it's uh, it's still a little bit more difficult, I think. Um but, uh, you know, look, regardless of Amazon bestseller, New York Times bestseller, the fact that somebody has come up with the idea for a book, you know, I, it's amazing how many people say, you know, God, I, I've always wanted to write a book. And the first thing I always say to them is then, then do it, then start, just do it. Um, it, it is uh, lonely at times it is painful at times but it's also very gratifying too and um uh, and the and and depending on what your subject is um you know whether it's fiction or non-fiction um you know i i you know i have tremendous respect for anybody who has the idea and then sits down and actually uh produce 
We're talking with Joe Garner, and I apologize, we have a little technical glitching going on, but hopefully the content overrides the little annoyance of the audio or video for our audience. Uh, I'm getting a lot of value out of seeing Joe and listening to his words. You know, Joe, you're a, you're an author, and you're also an entrepreneur because you're an, actually an author mm -hmm. who can make a living being an author, but you have a business that goes with that. And so I'm wondering, over these 23 years um, as an entrepreneur, was there a moment or time where you saw either external factors happening or something where you said, hey, this, this business model that I have built may now not survive whatever the next rev of the evolution of our business is. In other words, where's there a time where you thought the business might not survive? Well, I think like a lot of businesses around 2008, 2009, uh, that was a pretty challenging period. I mean, start 2006 uh, with YouTube, um, suddenly the multimedia uh, um, format uh, became, you know, sort of obsolete. I mean, only in the respect that the material that I was using, I mean, if I had have created, uh, which is what it, it wound up uh, sort of um, uh, you know, causing me to do is, is to create all original content. Um, but the, you know, the, the uh, classic moments from motion pictures, classic moments from sports, uh, that kind of stuff um, became readily available on YouTube. So, uh, you know, it just sort of lost its, its, uh, its magic as far as that goes. Um, and then, you know, people uh, stopped buying $50 gift books for a while. So uh, it did require that I kind of take stock of what my assets were, uh, which were sort of the skills that I had built up. Um, just, you know, being in the frying pan, you know, I... Um, uh, you know, like I said, I, you know, I, I from, you know, working with the news division, of all of the networks and licensing their material to suddenly going into sports. So it, there was a lot of, um, skills that were built up negotiations. Um, the relationships that I built with the networks, with the sports leagues, with the studios and that kind of stuff are, I, I learned became sort of valuable assets to other people who needed uh, that kind of uh, consultation and so forth. Um, and then, of course, uh, which is of, of where I am today, continuing the storytelling, um, in, in my case, nonfiction, uh, but just um, with the popularity of podcasting, um, I continued on just minus the ink and paper. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's um, full circle. The first book, We Interrupt This Broadcast, is now a past series, uh, which is hosted by um, legendary broadcaster Bill Curtis, who did the narration on the first book, uh, We Interrupt This Broadcast. And then the narrator is um, uh, Brian Williams. And uh, each episode takes you into these seminal moments, but purely from the perspective of the broadcast journalists who covered them. And um, I'm I'm very lucky that it's a it's a who's who. I mean, you know, Brokon, Rather, and Cronkite, and and uh, and 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 contemporary people as well. So um, I just you know kind of had to to adjust <clears throat> and look at what was you know I worked for Dick Clark at one point, and one of the things that Dick said to me was he said be a storekeeper, stock the things that people want. Mm. Uh, 
Um, and uh, so that's what I did. I looked at the marketplace. What do people want? And then used the assets that I had to. to okay, we, we lost Joe at the very end, but I think that was a, you, you gave me a, a great thought, I think, to follow up on that, which is there's a through line in your life. And you told me a story in our prep mm -hmm. meeting that I'd like you to kind of bring out. But even as a young child, a young man, young person, throughout your outreach to a find a publisher for your book, your outreach to Walter Cronkite, your outreach to Dick Clark, which you told me about. So one of the transferable lessons that I wanted to get to here on the business talk show today, Joe, with you is that you've been willing to do things that didn't have a guaranteed payoff to realize your dream. Right. You know, there's a saying, and I'm paraphrasing something like, on the other side of fear is everything you truly want. And for me, your right. career, you're a living example of someone who has taken those risks. So could you share the story from your youth, but then also talk to us about uh, why you've been able to summon the strength to run the risk of doing something that may have a high chance of failing? Right. Well, it, um, you know, I, I fortunately grew up in a home where I had a, a father who was an entrepreneur, self-employed, and uh, I can still recall the books uh, on the headboard, uh, Think and Grow Rich, Power of Positive Thinking, these kinds of things. Well, that um, seeped in. Um, even as a very young uh, child, I was nine years old. My father was with Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance. And every year we would make the trek from uh, the sticks of Illinois up to the big city of Milwaukee for the annual convention. And I loved that because I had had a, uh, a, a passion for the entertainment business since I can possibly remember. I never went through, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a fire. I was always, I want to be in the entertainment business. And that was my opportunity to touch the entertainment business because they would always hire a big name entertainer. That year, dating me, 1969, uh, they were having the biggest star in, in, the, in the country, if not the world at that time, Bob Hope. And somehow in my nine-year-old mind, I thought, you know, if I could just meet Bob Hope, it might help further my ambitions. So I sat down and wrote a letter to the president of Northwestern Mutual Life, Francis E. Ferguson. I shared that letter with you, by the way, Rick. And, uh, uh, or not that letter, but I, and I wrote, you know, what I was hoping, you know, and, and my goal, uh, you know, that, that, and what I was hoping to achieve by, um, by, you know, achieving this goal. And um, I'm sure my folks were mortified, but they didn't, they didn't dissuade me. And sure enough, about uh, two weeks later, I got a letter back from Francis E. Ferguson saying he would be happy, paraphrasing, he'd be happy to help me achieve my goal. Um, as long as I didn't, it, a little joke, as long as I didn't upstage Bob Hope. So uh, he told us where to meet um, uh, this appointed uh, person and at what time. And just before Bob took the stage, they took me back and, and I met Bob and I've got a picture of that that hangs on my office wall as a reminder that all you have to do is ask that, you know, it's um, and so you can imagine the the impression that that had on me at that young of an age. So fast forward when I'd be doing interviews and people would say, well, what made you think you could get Walter Cronkite or what made you think you could get Dustin Hoffman or Tom Cruise or any of these people that you've worked with? It's like, well, because, you know, I think it's a, a solid idea. It has, <clears throat> I think it's, uh, they have an affinity for the subject. Uh, 
and um, it, it just it it makes the it makes the the project um, you know that much more substantive. Why not? And uh, so that's kind of how I've you know proceeded through uh, through my career. So it, I think I know the answer, and it's a leading question here on the show. But do you think you would be where you are today if you hadn't taken those risks of reaching out to people to, without knowing what would have happened on the other end? No, no, I don't think so. Because you know, I, I, I mean, if you look at all the projects, um, they just um, they just seem complete. You know, I could I could do a book on on comedy. And, you know, and, and put it out. Um, but to do a book on comedy and have Carl and Rob Reiner as part of it um, or and, and then on top of that, Richard Pryor wrote the foreword to it. Mm. It just, um, you know, I just, you know, you just sort of have a vision of, of the potential. And, um, you know, it's funny, Rick, I've never been asked some of these questions before, so I haven't had to kind of, you know, it's just it's just always seemed natural, you know, and I and, and again, uh, tremendous, um, uh, you know, inspiration in working for Dick Clark and seeing he packaged his shows and things like that. So it just kind of, um, you know, seemed natural uh, in, in putting these books together. If you're going to do a book about <clears throat> seminal moments in sports broadcasts, you have to have Bob Costas do that. Yes, you know it's right. that that kind of an attitude. Well, you know, you as you're as you're continuing to answer the question, and I'm I'm, I'm glad you're comfortable answering these questions. Um, I'm thinking sure, the, absolutely the, the the power of mentors in people's lives. You, your parents were positive mentors with the impression they left with you. The the Dick Clark was an early and mentor for you that has shaped kind of your attitudes. It, it's really important, ladies and gentlemen, if you're entrepreneurs if you're a younger entrepreneur find mentors in your life they don't have to necessarily be older but maybe they're doing something you you desire to do eventually and if you are a successful entrepreneur business owner maybe you can look for others that you can influence the way dick clark and others have influenced joe in his career i'm sure you're doing that now joe for others in your profession being a positive absolutely yeah, absolutely. I, you know, again, it just gets back to even just the the fundamentals, you know, somebody, you know, wants to write a book. <clears throat> I, you know, I try to encourage them. I say, look at me. I mean, you know, it's, it's funny, Rick, when I first told old friends and family that I was thinking about writing a book, first thing they said was, don't you think you ought to try reading one before you write one? <laughs> <laughs> but you can't let that kind of criticism interfere. You know, I, I just, I saw that book um, in my imagination long before I saw it, uh, you know, in, in its physical form. Fantastic. So if someone would like to connect with you and sort of follow your career, um, how do they find you, Joe, either on LinkedIn well, or on your website? Yeah. Yep. I'm on LinkedIn uh, or you can go to garnercreative.com. And um, those two are probably the best ways, LinkedIn and, and GarnerCreative.com. Well, this has been thoroughly enjoyable. The time has flown by for me. I really appreciate your willingness to give us a little bit of time because I know you're on a busy schedule with other interviews coming up later today. Is that right? You, yeah, I'm on with Dr. Drew later this afternoon. So I'm, I'm interested to see what that's going to be like. <laughs> so, so I'm but glad it, it'll be fun. So it was, it was good to have you here to talk about your career. I really appreciate you giving us the time. We are now friends, Joe Garner, and 
and I wish you nothing but continued success. And for the entrepreneurs and business owners that are listening to the show, I hope all of your business decisions help to move your companies in a positive direction. Thank you.